Welcome, you're listening to a Serif Podcast, a go-to resource for investors, entrepreneurs, family officers and fund managers looking to learn about exciting investment opportunities around the world. Welcome listeners, this is Chris here and I've recorded a conversation for you with David Steckenrider. Just this morning my daughter asked me, how do you know so much daddy? Now, any father would be proud of their little cherub even if they kicked the dog and puked on the floor. It's what parents do. What I told her, however, is that I know a few things because I've been very, very fortunate, fortunate enough to speak with many, many really interesting people. Which brings me to David, who moved and now lives in Medellin, Colombia, married his lawyer, and together with his now wife, set up a boutique law firm which covers, amongst other things, immigration law, visas, company formations, foreign exchange, and the various legal necessities in Colombia. David's going to be joining us shortly in Medellin for a Serif meetup. These are one-of-a-kind events, and for more details on that and to book one of the limited spaces, go to serif.vc forward slash Columbia. That's S-E-R-A-P-H dot V-C forward slash Columbia. Today we've got David Steckenreiter from Steckenreiter Cerner and Associates with us. We're going to be discussing some of the nuances around um, investing, living, and doing business in Colombia. Um, David has got some deep experience in the country, having moved there himself and um, been through all of the challenges that typically come for an expat moving into a new country, having set up a new business himself and um, helped a lot of expats um, traverse that, um, the difficulties that typically are encountered in a, in a relatively new emerging market. So I wanted to welcome David to the call. Welcome, David. It's good to have you Thanks on. Thanks very much. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So as as I very quickly mentioned, you've you've been through this process before. Could you give me um, and readers a little bit of an insight into what got you to going to Colombia in the first instance, and um, just give me some color as to the stereotypes that exist, um, maybe some of the misconceptions that we've discussed previously. I think those are important for people to understand um, around Colombia. Okay, well, I first arrived in Colombia in 2000. It was, at that point, everybody's stereotype of what they thought Colombia was. It was not a safe place to be. I wasn't allowed by my friends and associates that I was working with to walk on the street because at that point in my life, I still had color in my hair and I had blue eyes. So you might simply say I was a dead ringer and no one wanted me to be a dead ringer, so I was kept off the streets, but there's something very fascinating about Colombia, and I'm not going to, it may sound like I'm talking through rose-colored glasses, I'm not. Colombia still has issues, but when I was here in 2000, there, it fascinated me, the, the people, the culture, the food. And I knew that I wanted to come back. I, it felt like there was opportunity here. I, I was in Cartagena, which is the jewel of the Caribbean for the Colombians on the coast. It's almost 500 years old. It was falling down at that point in time. And, and again, they're just the, com- the country seemed to scream opportunity. So when it was safer to come back in 2004, I came back looking to escape the cold Canadian winters somewhat, but also looking for business opportunities. And in the course of that, I happened to meet a beautiful lawyer, and so I came looking for opportunity and married my lawyer. 
So that that actually made my steps into the country a bit easier because she knows the ropes. So, but I have I've been through everything: creating corporations, investing in properties. I've been rural properties, commercial properties, vacation properties, um, and business as well. In Medellin, there is a high-tech sector. I, I actually have invested in the high-tech sector here as well. The country is growing. We've seen mega changes since I've been living here pretty much full-time since 2005, so 10 years. The previous president initiated a, a series of security changes which started the country on a, a complete reversal from what anyone thought. This country is dynamic, it's varied, it has at least 15 different microclimates. You can have just about any climate but heavy snow that you might be seeking. There, the people are industrious, the people are well educated, in, at least in Medellin. In parts of the country, there's no doubt that it's still third world, but it is, it's emerging. It, I mean, it's being classified as a, as a BRICS country. And uh, we've seen it happen here. If you come to Medellin and, and meet how one of your uh, associates just was here, you may have trouble assessing the fact that this is what you might have thought as Colombia, as probably a backward um, country with not great services. In Medellin proper, in the sector called El Poblado, you have first class world service from internet to healthcare. Columbia has some of the best healthcare centers in Latin America. I mean, that's including Chile and Brazil and Mexico. It, as I said, it has a it has a world class population. It still has problems. Yes, if you're thinking drugs, well, Colombia isn't the major producer of cocaine anymore. I believe that Peru, Peru is. They've done they've taken big steps to try and eradicate that. Very difficult to do, but you don't see it. In the time I've been here, if we go back all the way to 2000. I have never, I've never been looking, but I've never seen drugs, and actually very even rarely have run across anybody smoking marijuana out in public. So it's not what most people think it is. It's not the 1990s or pre-1990s when the famous capo, Mr. Escobar, was running around killing everybody and blowing buildings up. That's all changed. It still has some issues in the countryside. There is this guerrilla group called FARC. They're the major ones. There's another one called ELN or ALANE. They're all in negotiations with the government. If we get a peace accord with these two organizations, there's going to be major changes in the country. Now, it's going to be like when the allies beat back the Germans. It doesn't go away immediately. There's more investment required, but we see infrastructure projects, billions of dollars being spent on um, on new roads. We see a company called EPM, APME, is probably one of the largest utility companies, again, in Latin America. They're way beyond Colombia, and in fact, they support a, a tech center here called Ruta N. And they give 10% of their budget every year to Ruta Eni, which, which goal is to make Medellin the technologically most advanced city in the world by 2021. And that budget is about seven to eight hundred million dollars. And you can 
see it being spent in the city. Medellin in 2013 was nominated the most innovative city in the world, beating out New York City and Tel Aviv because they have carried on for the last 20 years a series of social investments that have created more opportunity and more equality for the poorer people. Still exists. It definitely exists. The workforce is inexpensive. The minimum wage right now is 646,000 pesos. That's take home. And that's, well, with the strength of the American dollar right now, it's not very much money. It's a few hundred dollars. That's something else right now for anyone thinking about investing in Colombia if you're investing in dollars. The dollar is incredibly strong and still getting stronger against the peso. It's up more than 30% from last year. So it makes any kind of investment in Colombia even more attractive. Um, again, I, I don't mean to make it sound like it's rose-colored glasses, but there are great opportunities here. Colombia has barely touched their tourism potential because people have been afraid to come here. I have distant German relatives who tell me that they'll never, ever, ever come to Colombia. And, and to me, it's more dangerous to walk out the front doors of the Frankfurt train station than it is to walk on, on the Golden Mile here in Medellin. So again, it's, it's seeing is believing. You need to come. You need to see it. You can still, like I said, you can still find the third world Colombia if you're looking for it. But the government has made deep investments in bringing technology throughout the whole country. There's almost 100% coverage in cell phones now. They're really pushing to make 100% coverage in internet. They're trying to bring their population forward. It has a mean average population of about 28 years old. So very young country, as I said, great workforce, uh, motivated people. And in fact, I mean, I'm going to go back to Mr. Escobar again. If you look at the fact that a guy who came off the street, although his product wasn't the best and his means was were terrible, still became, he was on Forbes' list of the richest men in the world. There's a certain element of entrepreneurism that, that runs deep in the roots of this country, probably because people haven't had money, so they had to find innovative ways to make money or create new opportunities. We see it with the young people. So again, like I said, don't mean to make it sound like rose-colored glasses, but it's a really interesting place, and it's not what the world imagines. At least anybody that's probably over 40 thinks of Medellin as the drug capital and the murder capital of the world, and it's just not that. No, right. Um, you made some comments around the infrastructure spend and um, EPM which um, I alluded to in a blog post just um, yesterday. And, and that's an important point. There's, there's a lot of development that's taking place um, and a lot of capital investment that's taking place, which is bringing up the, um, the standard of living of people around. I'm just, I wanted you to just cover a few topics. If we looked at the, the, the barriers to entry for an individual that was wanting to do business in Colombia, um, can you just give us some highlights of, um, you know, um, corporate setups, um, banking relationships, um, sure. and and the likes? Um, okay. Give us some overview of that. Well, Colombia is very open to foreign investment. In fact, I think this past year their foreign investment probably dropped. The direct foreign investment probably dropped a little. But for the previous five years, it was it went 
from something like 11 billion to 13 billion to 15 billion to 17 billion. So there's been a lot of big corporations and and investors coming here. I mean, Sam Zell is a good example. He believes in Colombia. So Colombia has one of the best protections for investors, for foreign investors in Latin America. And in fact, they rank very highly in the world. Creating a corporation, there's a bit more paperwork than you would find if you're North American. Now in Canada, I can go to a registry office and open a corporation for a few hundred dollars. And it's, it's simple. It hasn't made it to that point yet in Colombia because here the Chamber of Commerce or the Camera de Comercio has to be involved, that all corporations have to be approved through the camera and they go ka-ching, ka-ching on whatever you list as your initial investment. So it takes maybe three or four days to get a corporation set up. It's really not that difficult because um, a corporate lawyer or a lawyer that manages creations of corporations can set it up. It's just a matter of signing some paperwork and then jumping through some hoops because then the company has to be registered in with the tax department. That's not involved. The, the biggest pain with that is just simply standing in line for a couple hours and, and frankly we have somebody that does that for us so um, the clients don't have to worry about that. After that happens, when you have a corporation, you can go to the bank or we take you to the bank and introduce you to the bank manager and the corporation can get a bank account. As an individual, if you do not have a residency of some sort, whether it's a pension visa or an investment visa or whatever, it's almost impossible to get a bank account. However, there is a workaround for that as well. We work with a couple different investment companies or security firms, brokerage houses, whatever you want to call them. And they are large and have a large patrimony, a large investment portfolio, and they are allowed by the government to manage the movement of foreign investment in and out of the country. There you can open an account. You don't have to pay anything to open the account. You don't have to have a balance in the account. And in some cases, they give you this. I mean, you call them, they give you the spot amount at that moment in the transaction, they, they just take a small percentage of the of the transaction, which is much less than what the big banks here take. So it's it allows a person who can't get a straight bank account, again, very regulated because of money laundering over the last 30 or 40 years. So this allows people to, to get an account, you can move money into the country, the money can be registered, uh, as a foreign investment, there's special forms that have to be filled out, and again, it's something that we do. It's usually better to have a lawyer do it. Most of the investment firms prefer that as well to take the risk off of them. It's a mistake not to use somebody who knows what they're doing because here there are no excuses with the government. If you make a mistake bringing your money in, um, it doesn't matter if you don't. It's like anywhere in the world. Not knowing the law is no excuse, so you can actually face fines up to 200% of the, the money that you bring in if it's not registered properly. Again, government just trying to dissuade anyone from making any excuses to find ways to launder money. 
So those those things are regulated. For some people, opening the account at the securities company is a bit tedious because they ask a lot of questions. They need to know where the money has come from. Excuse me. They like to know what your assets are. I know a lot of my clients don't tell them everything, and they don't want to know. They don't want them to know, and I don't blame them either. But the questions that the security companies ask actually are questions that the government are asking them. So they need answers to be able to provide to the government. It's and easier. Sorry, Chris. I was just going to say it's easier when you know somebody how to do this. When you when you approach it from the outside at first, if you don't have someone's hand to hold. It could be a little more complex, but again, this is something that I've been through personally, and that we do as well. And um, on the uh, taking capital out of the country, um, are there any restrictions on that? There are not. The only thing you have to do is um, demonstrate whether you are in a taxable position. Now, this is one of the advantages of registering your money as a foreign investment coming in, because when you register it coming in, that shows you brought that much in. So at least that much is not taxable. Beyond that, then you have to demonstrate if you if you have a have earned income and you have to show that you paid the appropriate tax on that income. Okay. So the process in order to set up a a, a company, if one was to do business in in Colombia and they required for whatever reason a Colombian entity, the um, what's the cost of setting up a company and what, what sort of time frame would we be looking at? I actually don't manage the fees because it's more particular as to the amount of time that the corporation takes or what type of corporation um, is involved. We would need my partner and associate to give a better idea. I'm pretty sure that it's under $2,000. Uh, again, more expensive than it is in Canada or United States. There's just more hoops to jump through. And again, if we have to go stand in line for three or four hours, it's still time spent. So uh, basically, it's in that ballpark. I would say generally, if a person, if it's not complex, no more than a week. The thing that takes the greatest amount of time is for the camera, the Chamber of Commerce to review all of the minutes of the company and they're, they're picky actually. They, they often throw things back for tiny little matters. But anyways, they're very, very particular but it's still, it's not impossible to do and uh, like I said, in about a week you get your you file your minutes, the camera reviews them, you pay the camera their fees. With the documents they give you, you go to the tax department or we go to the tax department on behalf of the clients. We get the tax number and then we go to the bank and help get a bank account, a corporate, corporate bank account open. So there's a, there's a bit of paper trail, but it's not really that difficult in the long run. And in terms of the banking in the country, um, is it possible to get um, multi-currency bank accounts? Um, no. Is, that, is it still just uh, pesos? It's only pesos. The only thing you can do business here in is pesos. In fact, most of the money comes through Citibank in New York. And at that point, the brokerage houses exchange and convert into pesos. Um, any other currencies are not accepted here. Again, the government has strict controls because of the 
the issues they've had over the years with the, the laundering of money. So you can come here and go to a, a Cambio in the malls or if you find one on the street, and they'll exchange small amounts of currencies as well. You can bring in you can bring into Colombia up to ten thousand dollars cash, U.S. dollars. Um, if it was Mexican pesos, I don't know if the Cambio would take ten thousand dollars worth of Mexican pesos. If it's U.S. dollars, they definitely will. Um, but otherwise, yeah, they also on the even Canadian dollars. I rarely exchange in Colombia because the Cambios take such a big bite out of it. That it's just not worth it. It's better just to go to convert to U.S. dollars and and deal with U.S. dollars if I want, or again bring it in through the, and have it exchanged in the pesos. So right. And um, what about the credit markets? Is there a domestic credit market um, for things like real estate purchase? Um, I'm assuming on the um, you know and we've discussed this before, but for um, Colombians themselves, it's, the situation is probably a little bit different to um, international um, investors yeah. that might come in that want to leverage yeah. real estate purchases. Can you give us that, a bit of color around that. Sure. Basically, it doesn't exist. Foreigners to be able to get credit here must have either a job here, must have assets here, must have proof of income in Colombia. Uh, if you, ha I had a. Triple A credit rating in Canada and here it just is non-existent. So on that side, very difficult. You can buy into a, a new building complex usually if, if that's what somebody wants to do. That's not the best value available in the market here in Colombia. I know we're going to hear from our associate Hector in Ecuador. He might tell you a different story from Ecuador. But in Colombia, there's better ways to invest if you want to invest in a in an apartment or a home. There are some cases where the seller will take back a note. That does exist. In fact, right at this moment, Hector and I are working with a client who's offered financing on his apartment, like 60000 down and the, and the rest financed. Um, interest rates are high here. They're 10 to 14 percent. So it's what I did when I first came here is I leveraged assets in Canada where I was paying very little interest and brought the money here and then leveraged the money here. But uh, basically, interest rates are very high. I know of another company, a client of mine started. He He's lending money to Colombians and I had sent some information to Mia. He's charging about 24% a year and he's, he's getting people willing to pay that to be able to do projects. So it's very difficult for a foreigner to get credit in, in any way, shape, or form unless it's something specific, like you said, a take back of a note on a property. And can you give me a little, just um, very briefly, a bit of color around, you mentioned that you started out in two, the year 2000 was when you first went there. What's that sort of um, transition has looked like, because we're now 15 years down the track, um, both from a, a banking regulation perspective and then overall uh, Medellin itself, what you've seen take place on the ground there in that, in that time frame. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand that out a bit more to Cartagena because it's, it, it's a little more interesting to see it from that side. Um, and then I'll pop 
back to Medellin. In Cartagena, when I, as I mentioned, when I was there in 2000, there were buildings falling down. When I went back in 2004 and started to shop real real estate, there hadn't been a new building in 12 years. Now, I couldn't even tell you, probably hundreds of new buildings. More and more, I'm going actually next week to Cartagena again. There are so many new hotels. The hotel chains are finally coming. Oddly enough, the hotel chains, most of them haven't found Medellin yet, which is surprising, but they're coming. We've seen, since I've been here in Medellin, El Poblado is very progressive. There's been nonstop building here. There's no bubble here as far as I'm concerned because people can't leverage, at least foreigners can't leverage money here. The local Colombians, if they got money, they have money. What I've seen dramatically here since since I've been in Colombia 2004-2005 is the growth of the middle class. We see the um, more and more people with money, yet wages are still low, but there's still more people with money and more people spending money and more people wanting to buy real estate in the nicer part of town. And that, I believe, is a key factor in the peace process as well. Before a lot of the country was very poor and really people didn't have much to lose. Now the middle class is much larger and there's a lot of people with a lot to lose and they're getting freer access to to travel in the world where before Colombians were restricted. Last year the EU passed a bill which is to allow Colombians to travel through Europe. I don't know if they've put it into play yet and I've been really busy today but I noticed in the Colombian news newspaper I saw it looks like the US is going to open up uh, the US to Colombians in December without visas. So we're seeing a dramatic change in, in the people and their attitude, um, people, um, I mean more consumers and the other thing people might be surprised at is Colombia has fabulous designers. The probably second biggest fashion conference in the world happens here in Medellin. There's a great deal of production done here. Uh, Colombians have great tastes, great ideas. It's Again, we've just seen this burgeoning of, of a country moving from being third world and, and not having access to products and, and services and it's just been expanding and it's going to continue to expand and I think even more so as more and more expats find Colombia. I've, I've just had seven people come to me in this past week saying they've decided to move to Colombia. Um, it's a little group of people, but still, the climate here is, is, is amazing. And the city, you, you don't lack in anything in the city. If anybody wants fresh fruits and vegetables, this is the place to be. It's, it has a lot of positive factors. There's negative factors. Medellin is struggling with its traffic problems, but there's huge infrastructure projects being done in, in the city to rectify that. They're continuing their social investment into the city. They're taking the highways along the, the river, which runs through the valley, which Medellin is situated in. They're taking them underground, and they're converting that whole area into parks and bicycle paths. This has led the the dramatic change in Medellin. Medellin is going to be, if they don't make the technologically most advanced city in the world by 2021, 
they're going to be one one of the most advanced cities socially. Most cities don't have this kind of social investment. Uh, technologically, they've they've now got people developing um, products in a space industry up the top of the hill on the highway to the airport. There's going to be a big, big movie theater, movie school, uh, movie studios set up. Big theater companies like Pinewood from London have been considering moving here or creating another facility here. It's just really dynamic and I think that we're only just scratched the surface. I think that there's 10 years good growth of real estate and I think that there's who knows how many years of, of tourism that, again, like I said, we barely touched, this, touched the surface of tourism. So major changes in security. You can walk freely at the streets at night. Again, like any other big city, there's places you can't go. If you go there, you're crazy. You don't. You do what you, you do in Europe. You don't wear jewelry ostentatiously. You you be careful who you or when you withdraw money from your uh, with your debit card or where you're doing it. It's a common sense thing, but big changes here. It's um it's a lot of really insightful information. Thanks so much, David. Um, I'm gonna. Um, we'll, we'll have some more discussions on this later, but so I wanted to thank you for your time today and um, we're going to look forward to seeing you over there in, in a couple of months when we um, run our event. So um, thanks very much for your time and take care. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Seraph, a private global investment syndicate. To learn more about Seraph, visit www.seraph.bc. That's www.seraph.vc.